What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. What's up? I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a ton of books that have come out this or week. Or a reasonable amount. You know what a, I mean? A reasonable amount this week? That's what you feel yeah. like? Here's what I've done is I've tricked you, Pete, by doing 39 to 43 books several weeks in a row. When I have you only read like 20 to 30 books, you're like, this is great. This, this is, is great. great about it. Oh, yeah. my God. What a break. It's still a lot of books we're going to be talking about. It's so let's kick it books. off. It is a ton of books. So let's kick it off talking about Blade, number one from Marvel, written by Brian Hill, art by Elena Casagrande. This is not explicitly picking up off of Blade's con- current continuity, but you probably want to know that he is now working as the sheriff for the Vampire Nation, which is won by Dracula. That only plays into this title a little bit, mostly as Blade doing Blade stuff. Pete, you're our Blade guy. What did you think about this kickoff? Uh, to I movie? love this. I thought this was cool. I thought, you know, you know, sometimes you see a character get tricked or like uh, goes along with something where you're like, why the fuck would they do this? I thought he got played in such a classic kind of blade scenario. It was like, hey, we got this real problem. You got to save this person. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm a hero. I'll do that. And then they were like, ha, ha, ha. Stepped right into our trap, brah. Um, so I think it was a great use of like Blade's kind of confidence against him a little bit. And uh, I thought it really worked. And it's an interesting uh, kind of new villain for Blade, which I feel like is a good setup. We have like this almost godlike character who Blade accidentally killed the only person who could kill them. So, wow, uh, this is going to be a, an interesting setup. So I'm very excited about this. I feel like the art's really cool. I also like the the kind of samurai swords duct taped to his back look. Uh, I like it. It's functional. It works. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, if that's, uh, you know, the old gorilla tape there, that's going to stay in place. This is a good action horror take on Blade that I think is going to be perfect for anybody who is fans of the movies. I will say. Oh, no, no, no. And this is not a bad hesitation, but I will say. I loved the Blade Vampire Nation one shot that we got and the yes. idea of Blade being like, God damn it, I hate having to work for Dracula, but I'm going to solve the mysteries of this go. vampire state anyway. That's awesome. And I've never seen that before. So I was really stoked to see more of that. That's not what this book is at all. That's no. fine. Once I got past those expectations, I was like, all right, this is this is an across the plate, just like balls to the wall, super gross Blade, blade book. story. Yeah. Yeah, Blade story. Uh, and that's good, too. There's a place for that. But I do hope they figure out a way to get back to that sheriff thing, because that's such a smart, clear concept. It that is. I Did you before. like, though, how like Blade was talking to somebody and then as they were still talking, he cut off their head? I thought that was fun. That's, that's a fun, fun thing. It's, it's a fun book. book. It's a you fun book. Mean? Yeah, it's good. Still well, but I think the there's a place for both of these things. And, like, I don't know if there's a market for two Blade books at the same time, but I would love to have, like, great, you get your Blade action book, and then you get your Blade mystery book, because yeah, I think that would be enjoyable. But regardless, there we go. A good kickoff to this book. Let's see if this is a good kickoff to the next one. Hawk Girl, number one from DC Comics, written yeah. by Jadzia Axelrod, art by Amon K. Nahulpan. This is following Hawk Girl. Post Hawkman, to be honest, I don't 100% know his current status in this continuity, but he seems to be gone or dead or something like that. Hawk or Girl they has broke up or something. Yeah, you know, they broke up. 
who knows? He's not there. She is now in Metropolis. She is reconnecting with an old friend. And meanwhile, a bunch of other things are going on, including a vampire lady who wants cat powers and a lady named Galaxy who is trying to be friendly with Hawkgirl, but Hawkgirl doesn't want any friends. What do you think about this kickoff, Pete? Uh, I really like this. Also in DC right now, we got a lot of uh, you know night terrors going on. So this was a great break in the action. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would have put this on the top of my list if it wasn't so much about the nth metal. It's like I don't think DC needs to dive into the nth metal again. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we just. Not it didn't just happen, but like you know, they spent You're a long talking time about with the Dark Knights death metal yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Where we talked a lot about metal, and I was like, do we need to dip right back into this? But we are. I just it would have been. Um, I know it's part of the story here, but uh, it would have been nice just to kind of have a hawk girl story about like you know just her dealing with life and all the craziness of that, but. Um, I did think it was a fantastic first issue. Art is tight. I think it's a it's an interesting kind of setup where things aren't going great, and then we're going to kind of find out how uh, how she does. So I I think this was a solid first issue. Gets you excited for more. I just you know we get it DC. There's a lot of metals and different elements, and you know you guys like talking I, about them. I, I will say I did not have the same problem that you did. You might be surprised to hear that. I do think <laughs> there's a lot going on in this first issue. Yeah, like I, was, I was joking packed. about. Well, it's packed, but in the way where, at least for most of the reading time for the issue, it feels a little fractured. It feels like there's three stories going on at the same time, and I can't quite figure out how they fit together, particularly in a title called Hawk Girl. But the way it's woven together by the end, I thought was very smart. And it made me interested to check out the second issue because we're starting to see those connections there. It reminds me a little bit of a Tom King book, honestly, where it lays out all these pieces. You don't know how the puzzle pieces connect and slowly they're being pulled together and not together by the end of the first issue but all the character stuff is good and i will also say that this continues dc's very positive trend of not backing down from sexual diversity which i think is great uh, you know we talk about this a lot or at least i've talked about this a lot on the show but the idea that back in the day you had north star being like Hello, I'm a gay character and I have AIDS. See and never. And that was pretty much it in terms of representation. The fact that DC is not just hitting it, but hitting it in a way that reflects our world where there are people of different genders or are exploring different sexualities or have different sexualities. And that is becoming... (laughs) This is a bad way of putting it, but becoming more and more frequently put out there because people are aware of what they are and how to talk about what they are in a very different way than they were 5, 10, 15 years ago. So for sure, what DC is doing in this and in a book like this is very smartly representing the outside world, calling out, out to new audiences, which is important for the continuance of comics in the long term. So I'm sure conservative forces and more conservative readers are like, why do I need to read about a non-binary character and a lesbian relationship in my Hawkgirl comic? I say bring it on. Like, just stop reading Hawkgirl. Read another book. There's many other books and we're going to stack. Or read no books. Go somewhere else and do something else and stop bothering us. Because this is bringing in... <laughs> 
new audiences who deserve to read books that represent them. So I'm very happy this exists, even if maybe I had some questions about the structure of the overall issue. I'd say just be patient and hope that it ties in. But this is the Tom King effect a little bit where it's like he set such a high bar as far as like different kinds of stories. And it had such a impact on comics that there's going to be stuff like that afterwards. That's going to be like, well, I don't have to tie a story in the Mm -hmm. reader's going to show up. And again and again, I don't, it doesn't have to be a one and done. I don't have to kind of put it all out there, you know? Well, it feels very different structure. And then we can really move on to the next one, but it feels like a different structure from say, when Brian Michael Bendis made such a seismic effect with Ultimate Spider-Man, where he's like, you can tell one story over the course of six issues because we're only selling trade collections. And that worked for a while. This is a different sort of way of hitting it, where it's more like, I'm serving you various amuse bouches to get you ready for this big meal that you're eventually going to get at the end of the thing. So it's not about like six 20-page bits of one book, it's still a comic, and it's aiming for the 20 pages of the comic, but it's spacing out the information in a different way. Yep. There you go. Let's move on and talk about this Lock and Key 15th Anniversary Only Bad Edition from ITW, written by Joe Hill, art by Gabriel Rodriguez. Now, full word of caution, this is basically just the first issue of Lock and Key Welcome to Lovecraft that came out 15 years ago. There's a bunch of other covers and some art. There's a very nice note from Chris Ryle, the editor there, where he talks about the team and how incredible it is that they stayed together. But the only bad part that you're probably wondering about is a two-page goof story that shows you an alternate ending for the first issue that they put together. And I will fully admit, I know I'm in the tank for Lock and Key anyway, I laughed way too hard, way too long at these two pages. I thought it was worth it for those two pages alone. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. This is fun. It was fun to kind of go back there and then also have a little a little twist on it. Um, Yeah, I just think, um, you know, we're celebrating something monumental. I mean, when this comic dropped, it it changed changed comics. It it really, you know, uh, there was TV shows made. There was all this kind of stuff. But, um, you know, two people, uh, you know, a writer and an artist came together from different parts of the world and created something that was absolutely magic artistically writing wise we went on uh, a real uh, real travel uh, with them and it was i i don't ever want to let go and it was nice to get this so um yeah this yeah if you're looking for something completely different this is not the thing this is just kind of a revisit to the first with a little addition and then some touching stories and then like really great back matter with all the pictures and stuff of the actual places versus what we saw in the comics. But man, just so cool. Uh, And I do want to give a shout out in particular. I mean, you're mentioning us two people, but Chris Ryle very specifically says Robbie Robbins on letters and Jay Photos on colors as well. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So it's not just Joe and Gabe who are awesome. And it's not just Chris Ryle who is also awesome on editing, but it's this whole team that stayed together over the course of 15 years. And, Fingers crossed, as Chris teases, obviously on their own pace, but they still got plans to do more of it. And 
I can't wait to see more. If you've never read the first issue of this book, there's a great chance to pick it up. It's back in stores now in a completely remastered edition. It's not remastered, remastered. but it has a new it has a new cover and some extra stuff. So pick yeah. it up. Let's move on talk about a big one, Radiant Black, number 25 from Image Comics, written by Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark, art by Marcelo Costa and Eduardo Ferragato. Are you talking about, be, you talking about version A or are you talking about version B right now? Are you well, talking about here, Here's here's what I want to set up here, because we're in a very weird, unique position. Yes, we are. The last issue of Radiant Black, we've had an arc for a while where the two main characters have both held the mantle of Radiant Black. Their powers have started to glitch. There is an incoming robot apocalypse invasion happening, and they need to make a decision who should become Radiant Black. At the end of the last issue, it was put up to readers to vote and say who should become Radiant Black, who do you want it to be, and that's who it's going to be for the ongoing length of the title. Now, for press, what they sent out were two versions of the book, version A and version B. And in version A, one of the characters becomes Radiant Black, and in version B, the other character becomes Radiant Black. I will tell you, we don't know which one it is until we see it on stats. We read it before. So, like, just to be straight up and, like, upfront about us reading it. But we did read both things. I will say it's a great issue, another really good issue of Radiant Black. Um, Great issue. The action is amping up exponentially. But it was really fascinating to see how they had to create two issues to be ready for the printer to put one out there, depending on the vote. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, I loved it. Um, I really liked, uh, you know, it kind of starts a little slow, but then you get some real amazing Voltron moments, and then the action just kind of takes off. And so, uh, yeah, uh, just uh, continues to be artistically amazing, unbelievable story. Uh, Both versions were great. Yeah, this continues to slap. Who did you vote for, Pete? Which character did you want to be, Radiant Black? Oh, well, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't have a strong feeling either way. I mean, it's, it seems like the writing, it could, they made it work both ways. I wasn't like, oh, version A, definitely. Well, I definitely, I, I will say, just to be clear about it for everybody, because I do think it's interesting. I, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about this, but I'm going to talk about it I don't it anyway. know if we are either. Eh, whatever. It doesn't seem like we should. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, it's basically like the last three pages of the ones that are different. If you read yeah. the book, and there's a spoiler here, at a, t- a certain point, I'm blanking on both of the character names, but it's Marshall is the one with the black hair, and then there's the other one, <laughs> who, yep. who is the screenwriter. I should know their names after reading 25 issues, but... The two of them sit down and have a conversation after everything they've been through and basically be like, which one of us should be Radiant Black? And in one issue, Marshall makes the argument, here's why I should be Radiant Black. And in the other issue, I think it's Marshall actually makes the argument of like, here's why you should be Radiant Black. This is why it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, I voted – if I'm getting the names right, I voted for Marshall, the dick who has slowly redeemed himself over the course of 25 issues. Oh. Just because I think that's more interesting, and it's definitely my bias, but reading those pages, his argument about it, because there's a big revelation about how the two of them became friends back in the day yeah, in this issue. Yeah, flashback, yeah. Oh my gosh, so emotional and so well done. Um, that's definitely where I was leading, personally. So I was curious to see if you lean the same way. No, I mean, I, I don't like the the asshole who then redeems himself. I kind of like the guy who's been doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he should leave. He should do a screenwriting career. It's fine. 
He's good. He's Man, good. I'm stuff. paging through it, and they don't say they don't talk to each other by their names. So I'm I know that's my problem. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, come on, say his fucking name. <laughs> yeah, they say it at the end. They say it at the end. Anyway, uh, very good book. Definitely pick it up. Um, I'm curious to see who it actually was. I'm expecting it's going to be Marshall, but we'll see. You say Marshall Mathers? Is that what you're Marshall, saying? Marshall Math Matter Mathers. Yes, Moon Knight, City of the Dead, number one from Marvel, written by David Cooper's <laughs> art by Marcelo. Ferreira. This is a big issue for a couple of reasons, but the biggest one is that Layla, aka Scarlet Scarab from the Moon Knight TV show, is making her Marvel Comics debut, which is an interesting thing because they created her as a MCU first character. They haven't had a lot of original characters in the MCU. This is one of the first superheroes that they created, if not the first one. Now she's showing up in comics as well. Uh, this is also a very different story than what is happening in the main Moon Knight book. What do you think about this, Pete? Yeah, this is a more kind of like action-focused book. It's less about how insane he is and more about just kind of like kicking butt and then, uh, you know, getting all choked up because Scarab is now in the comic books. Oh, it was a cool moment. It's a very cool moment. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed this as a Moon Knight fan. I felt like this was cool. Um, it was nice to have kind of like a focused, uh, butt kicking Moon Knight again. So yeah, I'm into it. Um, and, uh, I'm excited for some Scarab action as well. It's, uh, hoping for maybe a little romance. We'll see. I don't know. It could be cool. I agree with you on the Scarab moment. I think Marcelo Ferreira really nailed it in terms of the art. you got to have a big debut page there. And yeah, that's you absolutely do. right. I will say I'm not the biggest Moon Knight fan, and I do like it when they have a really transgressive, weird take on him. But this, you can't hate Moon Knight fighting a bunch of like Egyptian Yeah, this is just straight down the middle Moon Knight here. This is there just... You go. Yeah, yeah, so it's fine. Uh, it's good if you're a Moon Knight fan. If you want to see some big, goofy action stuff, definitely check this out. And if you're looking forward to Scarlet Scarab. Don't call it goofy. I don't know. I say that complimentary. Comics are goofy. I've been reading them for decades at this point, and I love them, but they're goofy. Comics are serious. What's your fa- Who's your favorite Disney character? Goofy, right? Everybody loves Goofy. No, no really? I hate Goofy. Donald Duck, because he's angry? <laughs> no, I, I once got in a fight with Donald Duck in a... Oh, no follow-up questions. <laughs> None. I don't want to know anymore. He took about my that. brother's hat and I chased him and beat him down, and then everybody got mad at me. Did you get kicked out of Disney World? No. They just, you know, I got they yelled took at you him. to the underground tunnels and Walt Disney's head, and he was yeah, like, the guy took his head I'm, off I'm, and was like, "Oh my I'm god, mad at you, Pete. I'm disappointed. Yeah. It's me, Walt Disney. I'm disappointed in you. Just classic. Yeah." Classic stuff. Let's move on and talk about Tales of the Titans, starring Starfire, number one from DC Comics, written by Shallon Hale and Dean Hale, art by Javier Rodriguez. This was one of my favorite issues of the week, hands Oh, down. my God, yes. I, I'm i fine with Starfire. Like, I like her as a character. So I was a little trepidatious going into that. So I was like, also, we have a Titans book, plus a Teen Titans book, plus the Teen, plus the Titans. But now there's Tales of the Titans. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, this is too much Titans. Uh, but after this book, I'm like, no, more Titans, more, bring, more bring Titans, it on. Please. And yeah. a lot of that, mind you, is Javier Rodriguez, who is one of the oh, best artists working in the business. But the way that they craft the story is so smartly done. It's all about Starfire being back with the Titans, but still being treated as, treated as you're just an alien princess. That's how you are. And over the course of the book, 
she not only owns that title, but expands on that title and proves to the Titans why she's important. Which, Fantastic. You know, this is upsetting. Is, you know, you you should be an equal on a team. You shouldn't have to prove yourself, you know, especially after all they've been through. Well, absolutely. But I think that happens, you know, particularly like the idea of getting back together with old friends and everybody falling into old habits of like, oh, yeah, you know, like when you get together with your high school friends, everybody falls back into those dynamics. Yeah. You're like, no, I'm a different person now. Stop treating me like that. That's not how exactly. I am. Exactly. And, of course, Cyborg's, Cyborg's going to say you're emotional. Guy's half robot. He doesn't even mm. know what emotions are. You know what I mean? Like, how dare he talk so about emotions? This is Punk. not an ongoing book. This is a mini series, so there's more issues. But this is also a perfect one shot. Do not hesitate to pick up this book. Yeah. I uh, First off, some really fun covers. Uh, this is such an enjoyable issue. Art was creative and cool. I like to see a Starfire that isn't overly sexualized. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was, I feel like, such a great book and such a cool take on Starfire that I hope continues and uh, grows in popularity because uh, there's a lot you can do with that character, and I feel like this is a smart take. This is awesome. Definitely don't miss this book. Next yep. up, Impact Winter Rook, number one from Image Comics, oh, written yeah. by Travis Beecham, art by Andrea yeah. Milana. This is based on the podcast from Audible that comes for the folks, uh, Gail Ann Hurd and other folks behind Oh, Walking it's based Men. on a podcast. Boo. Well, it's based podcast on a podcast. We podcast podcast <laughs> Stop making podcasts. Uh, wow, who's we... saying that? That's weird that that <laughs> came in. Uh, this is... Based on the podcast, we've read previous iterations of this book, but this is, I think, a one-shot that's focusing on the backstory of a character who is in the continent, current continuity of the podcast. The idea of the podcast is basically there's like nuclear winter thing, ash blankets the earth, and vampires come out to play is essentially what it is because there's no more sun anymore. So warriors, it's vampires. Yeah. Come vampires out come out to play. And this is flashing back to show us where this character began back when he was a Roman. He meets a barbarian who is a vampire. They kind of fall in love. Again, very trepidatious about this book because I don't know anything about the podcast and I wasn't sure about it. But I thought this was a really well-crafted and written one-shot. I agree. I was really impressed with this. Also, I'm a sucker for a rom-com. and. Hey, um, yeah, the you know, it's the classic story of a love between a human and a vampire. But then that human is going to get themselves in trouble and they're going to be turned. But we're doing it for love. Spoilers, but also you knew that was going to happen. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> sweet. And uh, also, I liked the, you know, sometimes when you get two people together and you're like, oh, come on. Eventually, you know. Mm-hmm. But I felt like the trepidation was good and made sense. And uh, I wasn't like angry at the comic for not having them get together sooner. I thought it was a very smart, well done book. And uh, art was fantastic. Great story. I want to read more. Yeah, really good character designs here. There's uh, there's just like uh, this is going to sound insane, but there's. 
very different body sizes to the characters in terms of giving like their scale and their amount of power that they're bringing to every scene that I was really impressed by. And like you said, there's a good amount of heat here. This is a romance and you feel that romance. I did feel like they hit the light and dark metaphor a little too hard because Mm -hmm. one of them was white and one of them was black. I was like, we get it. You don't have to keep hitting that. Yeah, listen, this is not reinventing the wheel or anything like that, but it's definitely going to scratch that itch if you're looking for a good human vampire romance, like you said. Next up, Star Trek Day of Blood, number one from IMDb. <laughs> written by Christopher Cantwell, Colin Kelly, and Jackson Lansing. Art by Ramon Rosanas. This is the event that the Star Trek universe at IDW has been building to for a while. And we were mm-hmm. mashing together the crews of Star Trek, which are sort of an all-star of the Star Trek universe. And Star Trek Defiant, which is like a, I don't know, what's the opposite of all-star? Evil, evil all-star of the Star Trek universe. Uh, and they're all coming together with a big, not like a Klingon invasion, but a Klingon explosion. Like basically the bad folks are taking over the Klingon empire. They're going to be hepped up on some sort of red, excuse me, red serum thing. <laughs> oh no. That burp was timed oh. perfectly. <laughs> red serum thing. Uh, and that's going to drive them crazy. And the Star Trek folks are, of course, caught in the middle. We've been following both of these Star Trek books for a while. How do you think it paid off with the kickoff of this big event? Well, I didn't think there was enough blood. I mean, it's called Day of Blood, and I kept waiting for all the blood, and it doesn't mm-hmm. really come. Uh, there is a lot of action in this, which I appreciated. I do think it's a cool buildup. We just haven't got to the actual Day of Blood yet. Um, so it's pre-Day of Blood, but um, I do think it's a it's a really solid Star Trek comic, and it's building nicely to something. Yeah, the thing that I keep wrestling with With these Star Trek comics, which is an insane thing to say for somebody who is literally wearing a Star Trek hat right now, is there's a lot of talking in these books. And I know that's that's part and parcel with Star Trek. People sitting around and talking and figuring things out. But as this is a comic, I want... I've enjoyed the issues of these books that have been more action-focused because visually they feel a little more dynamic on the comic book page. Like, I could... I could watch the crew of Discovery debate things forever. That's fine. They're live action. The camera is spinning around. There's movement. There's ways of making it dynamic. On the comic book page, it's a lot of the characters sort of facing each other and talking to each other, which doesn't feel propulsive in the same way. So this issue is a lot of, oh, hey, remember that that character actually knows that that other character that they haven't seen in a while? What happens when they get together? There we go. And it's fun on that fan service level. But like you said, I want to get to the Day of Blood thing. I want to get to the fighting Klingons. I want to watch that empire explode. Day of Blood. Day of Blood. And that's coming. That's where we end up at the end of this issue. Yeah. But there is a fair amount of setup going on here. So still following it, still excited. uh, But this is very much a kickoff. Meanwhile, on the other side of the stars, Star Wars, The Rebellion, number one from Marvel, written by Alex Segura, art by Matt Horak, Brent Peoples, and uh, Raphael Pimentel. This is continuing Marvel's 35th anniversary for Return of the Jedi. Here we are focusing on Admiral Akbar and Mon Mothma, as there's a plot to kill Mon Mothma. What do you think about this one, Pete? Uh, I very much I thought this was a crazy fun issue, you know, uh, you you got great art, great story. It feels like Star Wars, you know, that whole kind of like 
half robot alien looking dude uh, who's the sniper there kind of great kind of setup and then kind of reworking of that story so yeah i felt i felt like this was great this uh really felt like a star wars book to me yeah, it's not quite a retcon, but it's sort of like a mid-con in terms of inserting something that you didn't know that happened before the Battle of Endor. And I think it worked very nicely. All of these anniversary books have really been pulling above their weight. You could be kind of phoning these things in, but I've enjoyed every one of them. I think Alex mm-hmm. Segura, who's a friend of the show, does yeah. a really good job here. He has experience in the Star Wars universe and clearly knows his way around. The art Seems is like good. he's a good writer. You know what I mean? Like he's written good. a lot of great stuff. You know? Yeah, exactly. He should win some awards for his mystery books or something. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever it is, this is a good one shot if you're a Star Wars fan. Let's move on to The Vigil, number three from DC Comics, written by Ram V, art by Lalit Kumar Sharma and Sid Kotian. This is following on a team of the DC Universe that's extremely Wildstorm-esque and is operating, I believe, in India. Um, we find out a lot more about their individual powers this issue as our human counterpart, the person that we're kind of focusing on, sort of the main character, details exactly what's going on with them and our estimation of them. And meanwhile, this dude with a very drippy face and a mask pretends to be her to find out if she's trustworthy. Um, Like I said, this book is very Wildstorm, and I think it's 100% nailing that vibe. Yeah, it's tripped out, but enjoyable, creepy as shit. And... um, uh, it's got a really great art style to it and also has a really nice flow to it, which I enjoy. Like it's got a great pace. Um, you know, uh, you know, sometimes there's it really it slows down with a lot of dialogue, but I really liked it. Um, yeah, it's that mask thing really creeps me the fuck out, though. But, man, it's uh, it's an interesting story and worth checking out. Yeah, I will say this is, I think, my favorite issue of this title so far. Each issue is focused on a different character. And this one really kind of lays out the whole team and what's going on. Great. So I've gotten more and more into this every issue. Red Sonia, number one from Dynamite, written by Torin Gronbach, art by Walter Giovanni. This is exactly what you expect out of a Red Sonia book. She gets drunk. She fights people. She fights some more people. She goes on some adventures. Pete, what would you think? Yeah, I unfortunately, this is a little too much classic Red Sonia for me, where it was a little too much TNA and just kicking butt and then just kind of like they threw in a creepy bishop fucking character, which I didn't need or ever want to see. So it's just like, you know, uh, if you like Red Sonia, you probably like this. But I was like, you know, I don't know. We've seen other creative angles from it, so I don't know. Yeah, I I think that's the thing, is I understand the thought process here because we've seen some bigger takes on Red Sonia in the past couple of Dynamite books. Um, Immortal Red Sonia, which I think was the last one where she was teamed up with her younger self, was really interesting and a different sort of take. So I understand the idea of, like, let's do a back to basics. She's just uh, going through a bunch of lands and getting drunk and killing some people and whatever. Um, So if you like that sort of thing, this is sort of the ideal version of that sort of thing. But I agree with you. At this point, I don't just need to read Red Sonja or Conan just doing their thing. I've already read that. I need to see something new at this point. Yeah. But sometimes people are like, ah, just get back to basics. So if that's what you're feeling, this is it. 
There you go. Scrapper number one from Image Comics, written by Cliff Blezinski and Alex DeCampi, art by Sandy Jarrell. This takes place in a far future society where basically like techno stuff is in charge. And we're following a bunch of talking dogs who are fighting back against it. We also get the origin of one of the talking dogs here and find out why he might have even more powers than we expected. Pete, what'd you think? Oh, I love this. I absolutely love this. I mean, I work for raviolis too. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing like a mm-hmm. good ravioli to make you, you know, go out there and kill. But I think that uh, this is really cool, unbelievable team and they really deliver. It's a weird kind of setup of talking dogs, but also it's this kind of thing about uh, evil corporations and all this kind of stuff and a kind of cool twist at the end that's like, oh, oh what what Scrapper going to do now? So, uh, yeah, I, as far as first issue goes, it does everything that you want to get you excited, sets up this world. And uh, makes you hungry for ravioli. I mean, what more do you want out of a comic? This to me feels like a lost 90s, 2000s cartoon. Like it feels like yeah. it aired alongside Gargoyles or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Where you'd be like, oh, what are you watching after Gargoyles? I'm watching Scrapper. You know, the show about talking dogs that fight robots in the near future. <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking for something like that and who is it, this is a book to check out. Definitely great. Next up, Black Panther, number two from Marvel, written by Eve L. Ewing, art by Chris Allen. Black Panther is no longer king of Wakanda. He's now just a regular guy living on the streets of Wakanda who's fighting crime there. He's not just a regular guy. He's still still Black Panther, Panther. and there's a lot of stuff going on. This is actually my issue with this book right now is, and this is probably on me, but what I got very excited about with the first issue is having essentially like a Batman-esque character in Wakanda and finding out what like street life is on Wakanda versus just palace life. We talked about that with the last issue. Sure. We get even farther afield from that in this issue as Black Panther mixes it up with various other characters. It's mm-hmm. not really street level at all. So I'm having trouble matching my expectations, what I want out of the book with what it actually is. You're a Black Panther fan, though. How do you feel about this one? Yeah, I, I don't write ahead. You know what I mean? I'm trying to enjoy the moment a little bit more. But I do. I can understand what you're saying. But what I liked about this is we're getting a little bit of a love interest, maybe. Um, but also just, um, you know, just kind of exploring a little bit of Black Panther's world, widening out the lens instead of it always just being about Black Panther, other characters, what's going on in Wakanda, that kind of stuff. So I'm always excited for more, and I feel like I hear what you're saying, Zalbin, but, uh, you know, hang in there. You know what I mean? It might it might go back to what you want it to be. We'll see, or it will continue to follow its own path, and I guess that's fine. Yeah, and as you're well. not writing the comics, so back the fuck up. You know Maybe I, mean? I am. Maybe I'm going into all the shops and scribbling my own words over their words. Don't, that's a cool don't. thing to do, right? No, you're ruining people's art. Do what I want. I bought the no. comic books. I didn't. All Eight Eyes, number four from Dark Horse Comics, uh, written by Steve Fox, art by Piotr Kowalski. In this book, there are a bunch of folks that are trying to reveal and fight a giant spider invasion of New York. Specifically, they're trying to track down the spider who killed the one biggest of their spider owns, of all the time. The biggest spider of all time. The mother of spiders. Uh, and this is the end of this mini series. How do you think it wrapped up, Pete? 
Uh, great. I as skeeved out as I am about the fact that I now believe there are giant spiders that live in the subways. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I uh, I think this was really great. A lot of fun. I was kind of sad about. Uh, you know what happened to one of the characters, but you know you got to respect him. Uh, you know fighting, fighting till the end. Uh, but yeah, absolutely fantastic art. But uh, uh, sp- spiders are scary, and uh, this is this has been a scary book. I agree with you. Spiders are scary. I really like this book. I it could have gone on longer. I wanted more of it. I feel like it wrapped up nicely, but it wrapped up very quickly. Um, so I don't know. I hope there's a sequel. There's certainly room for more. One little quibble I'll say. This book is supposed to take place in, I think, 1999 or late 90s. There is a point when somebody pulls out an iPhone, and I was like, <laughs> ah, you missed up a little bit there. But it's all right. We all make mistakes. But we also all make money, number one, from Comicsology, hey. written by Kurt Pyers, art You're by so Luca money, Guida, excuse me. This is a book about the Illuminati. The Illuminati is real, and they are all joining you together. Heard it. Alex, Alex said it. Alex I, said it. I finally said Alex it. Alex said it. Don't yeah. do that. That's uh, very much skirting anti-Semitism. Uh, the, oh, oh, Jesus. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. You're not. I'm just being mean. But no. definitely don't, like, accuse a Jew of uh, exposing the Illuminati. Just not a good <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> anyway, Jesus. my point being, this book is about the Illuminati. They're getting ready to choose oh, no. a new... <laughs> in this book and things go horribly wrong by the end of the book uh this is actually part of our i'll I'll mention our kurt pyers block we're also going to talk about simulation theory number one from comicsology written by pyre block written by kurt pyers art by daryl nick rem we'll talk about that book in a second um but what did you think about money pete uh really kind of cool looking for sure the art really stuck out as a it's just incredible art style. Um, yeah, it's just kind of shady Illuminati shit going on. And, uh, you know, as far as the first issue setting setting up this world and what's going to happen. So I think they did a great job of, like, setting it up in a cool way. And uh, we'll see what happens. We definitely will see what happens. I was just looking it up now. I'm forgetting which book it is. But it reminded me a lot of a Jonathan Hickman book. Maybe it is, no, I don't know. I don't know which one it is. Uh, but whatever it is, uh, this is very good. This is very fantastic for Yes, fantastic for No, there was also like an Illuminati book that Jonathan Hickman wrote at one point, and I don't remember what it is. Um, You're not talking about the Red Hood one, are you? I'm definitely not. Uh, <laughs> talking about uh, Illuminati. I know yeah. he did the Illuminati for Marvel. That's not what I'm thinking of. Okay. It was an image comics book or something. Whatever it is, this is a little more in line with like Godfather, I think, amped up. And part of that is that one of the main characters in this first issue is very clearly Al Pacino, the way that it's drawn throughout. Uh, but this is this is big. Like this definitely like throws out some big ideas here and throws out a big ending for it. So I'm very excited to see where it goes. So far, Kurt Pyrus has been crushing it on all of his books. So 
very interested to follow this one. Uh, what about Simulation Theory, number one? This is a very different book following a world that has been taken over by this virtual reality simulation that everybody's put yeah. themselves in, Ready Player everybody's One style. Everybody's tubes. Everybody's in the old tubes. And somebody is brought into the tubes only to find that things are horribly wrong and she has been tasked with making them right. Uh, what do you think about this, Pete? This is kind of like a really tripped out, cool looking book as well, but in a different futuristic kind of way. Also, this glowing cube thing that's not a Rubik's Cube, but it's like more evil. If you can imagine something more evil than a Rubik's Cube. So, Seems impossible to me. Yeah. I think they do a good job of setting up this amazing futuristic world and then kind of you getting you uh, kind of excited for what the hell's going on. Uh, I like this as well. Not to be a little negative, I didn't love the art in this. this oh, what? I'm sorry. The character designs were like a little, a little over angular for me where I had... But it was like the style of the art, though. No, I know. I just I was not vibing with the style mm. of the art is the main okay. thing. Like the, the character designs in particular were a little I, too angular for me, a little too lined. I hate to I break it to you, but the future's all angles, man. Oh, man. Yeah. I got to play all the angles to make it to the future, to be honest mm. with you. Hey. Regardless, like we've been like I said before, Kurt Byers does not miss. Uh, all of his stories are very good. So we're thinking of, well, let's move on for our Pyres block to our Night Terrors block. We've been talking about hey. every issue of this from DC. The event is the DC universe has been plunged into nightmares by a new character called Insomnia. They've been hitting it in different ways. This week we got a bunch of them, so I'm gonna read through all of the titles. We got Night Terrors, Catwoman number one. Written by T.D. Howard, art by Layla Lays. Night Terror Superman, number one, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Tom Riley. Night Terror's Wonder Woman, number one, written by Josie Campbell and Stephanie Williams. Art by Juan Ferreira and Megan Hetrick. Night Terror's Nightwing, number one, written by Becky Clune and Michael W. Conrad. Art by Danielle DiNicolo. Night Terror's Punchline, number Punchline, one, number written one. by Danny Lore, art by Luca Meyer. Next time you can do that, Pete, you can read all those names. Uh, we... I think we've been pretty positive about this event. I definitely yeah. said that I liked week two a lot more than week one. But what did you think about this chunk here? Anything jump out to you, Pete? Superman number one. I mean, awesome. Best super tight bananas art. Like, get it? Like super. Like yeah. it's amazeballs good. Like Superman all seasons artistically good. Mm. Like just. Uh, and also a cool reveal at the end that. Night terrors doesn't reach the water. <laughs> the so this is written by Joshua Williamson, who's doing the main book. So I think you can kind of tell, like, he's the guy leading the event. So this is the one that's like really pushing forward a bunch of big ideas and changing it in a big way here. Um, this also, like, he's been writing a horror inflected Superman book anyway, so this ties in <laughs> really nicely and follows up on DC that. DC finally was like, fine, dude, you know what? Yeah, yeah just do it. It's fine. Night terror, right? Okay, just go Jesus. ahead. Anyway, I agree with you. This is definitely the issue of the week, but I, I liked a bunch of the other ones this week as yeah. well. Um, I do think, I'm trying to remember the Wonder Woman one I thought was pretty good. Yes, uh, that amazing. ties yeah. into a bunch of Justice League dark that stuff. Eyeball that eyeball panel in the beginning was so mm -hmm. creepy and amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I, I like seeing the, the team Justice also. Yes. The, oh, sorry. We're talking no, I was saying the Justice League dark team, seeing them back was yes. really fun. Yeah. Uh, so that was good. 
Um, I was a little, I, I like the team on Nightwing, but I was a little iffy on the Nightwing one that didn't quite work for me. And I know well, it was a kind of Nightwing just having a nightmare scenario, yeah. which we had seen earlier weeks. So it wasn't as creative, but still like, I'm sure if I'm Nightwing, I'm going to have a nightmare where I'm trapped in Arkham. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's just going to happen. Totally. And these are all, I, I think, pretty solid books. Uh, the punchline one, I just, I just can't get with punchline. I don't. Yeah, I, you got a problem with punchline. I do. I, really, I just, like, I can't work through it. The, the, they had an insane cover though of her like ripping off her own skin. Oh my god, mm-hmm. it was so tripped. The out. covers are great. You said this yeah. last week. The covers are all very good for this. Really, plan. really creative and really well done overall. It's fun to kind of look at these covers for sure. And but I, also, I will, oh, sorry. Go ahead. The punchline, just to kind of finish that up a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> You know, her having uh, a nightmare and, or dreams actually about like killing black girl and like that. I feel like that's a that works for the character really well and like Joker and all this other stuff going on. Yeah. So I thought like it really made sense. <sighs> the the only I, thing is, uh, I'll say I I think my favorite one of the events so far is the Night Terror's Joker thing that Matthew Rosenberg wrote, perfect. and that's the same sort of thing where. <laughs> Joker kills Batman. He's like, what do I do with my life now? Yeah. What's going on? And that idea is so But it wasn't so that he killed so- Batman. Like, it was like Batman <laughs> tripped and fell on his face and <laughs> died and then, like, slid <laughs> off the building. Oh it was so fucked up. <laughs> so funny. so messed up. It was like, so, not like this. Th- not this- like this. If that I hadn't read that issue, I think I might be like a little more into the punchline idea. But having seen that yeah. taken to its extreme with the Joker thing and paled in comparison a little bit, but still well done. Uh, the Catwoman one I thought was interesting in terms of hitting the idea of like scratching on the idea of like, wait, am I in a nightmare? What's happening? Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with this and I can't put my finger on it. And it channeled that feeling right now, the stress of that feeling, which I thought was very good. Yeah. And also what I like is I'm not, we're three, four weeks into night terror here and I'm not sick of it. I don't yeah. think it's, yeah. No, I'm these are good. Enjoying. I yeah. like, we, we related this to the future state event that they had last year. This feels very similar in terms of a two month event. I, I love this. Like I, I am all in on do a line wide event. I mean, obviously they're not because they have other titles that they're releasing, but like do a line wide event, take over the whole thing, push some idea forward, do something wild and crazy. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, that's okay too. You're experimenting yeah. with stuff. Um, I think it's great. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy that they're doing this. And I'm enjoying this so far. Let's talk about Guardians of the Galaxy number four from Marvel, oh. written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, art by Kev Walker. Here, we're not getting some big answers necessarily about what's happening with Grootfall, which is Groot is this big fiery being who's destroying planets, but we do catch up with Rocket and get the emotional depth that we've been lacking, I think, in the past couple of issues. You seem very affected by this, Pete. Dot, yeah, dot, dot. I'm. I just. Uh, yeah, I was so moved by this issue. This is such an amazing issue. The art is unbelievable. This is just kind of like I'm a sucker for Rocket and Group being best friends, and the kind of like fact that Rocket is just manning this giant rocket and has to kill his best friend every day is insane. But the the amount of like 
just kind of emotion you go through. And then the whole thing where Groot goes kind of like past him and he's like trying to talk. It's just, I just think it was really well done. Such a powerful, cool thing. And uh, this is what makes Guardians of the Galaxy great. Like these little pocket moments here that you have during this insane idea is just such a cool, well done thing. Uh, yeah, I, this is one of my favorite uh, issues of the week. Mm. This definitely gives it the emotional hook that I've been missing in the last couple of issues of Guardians of the Galaxy, so I like that a lot. And uh, I am at the point, though, that I need some answers. And they promised in the teaser for the next issue we're finally going to get an explanation of what group fall is. Well, yeah, I mean, the last panel there, it's kind of set up as, hey— we got answers for you. Hang in totally. Uh, but they've definitely been playing the mystery card. I, I know it's only four issues in, but for me, it's been dragged on a little bit. I Dude, wanted- we're, we're in a post-Tom King world. Did you got to, you know, we can't, you can't you, get answers you quick like anymore. you 16 issues you before can't. you know no, what the title not, is, That's man. not the world we live in anymore. You mm-hmm. got to sit back and wait. <laughs> just take it. Because it's Tom King's world. We're just living in it. Yep. Uh, that affects you ruined every- it for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, regardless of all that, Kev Walker's art continues to be unimpeachable. Oh. Just like Dude. so good. His rocket is so good. It's yeah. uh, like I love the longer whiskers on the side, and but everything. also like Groot's face on like that oh, flaming yeah, the thing. Flame. Oh, very cool. Oh, oh good stuff. God. Good stuff. Yeah. The Vampire Slayer number 16 for Boob Studios, written by Sarah Gelly, art by Kath Loba. This is the final tish, I, tissue issue of this title. Get your tissues because it's the it's final a, issue. Oh, yeah, because you're going to cry, baby. So <laughs> Drusilla has been attacking the Slayer. She's trying to open a portal to hell. They are fighting back on it. They are tying together a bunch of stuff that has uh, happened since the first issue of the title. I don't have been bigger on this title than both you and Justin, but how did you feel it wrapped up, Pete? Oh, man. You know, if you like Buffy, uh, but you wanted a little bit more manga anime style, this is the book for you. You sound Uh, sarcastic, Pete. No, no. I think think this is fun and great. And I also like the uh, giant crab monsters. Shout out to Marilyn. We got crabs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there you go. I I love this book. I of course you do, do think it really crested with the previous arc. Uh, everything that went down with Willow, specifically with getting too much magic and dealing with her loss and everything. I'm sorry, did you say it really crested? Crested, yeah. It, it like a wave, a wave crested. Like yeah, yeah. It, it really, it no, really no, built. So, a- so we have the previous arc. Yes. And then you have a, this new arc and it's cresting, right, with the previous no, arc. No, no, no. The previous arc crested. Right. And then this arc, to me, with Drusilla, has felt like a nice afterthought in a certain right. way, where I didn't need it quite as much. Like, Willow was the main character of the Vampire Slayer because she had taken over the mantle of the Slayer. Love that. Love the remix continuity. Her finally giving it up and Buffy getting her powers back. To me, that was the emotional conclusion. Okay, like so this. if let's yeah. just say you and me are sitting on a beach, right? And oh this beautiful God. wave comes and it just forms this amazing crest. And you're like, oh, that's amazing. You know, and you're just kind of walk away satisfied. But then another wave comes and you're just like, oh, this is equally satisfying. <laughs> no, it's more like... There is a wave that crests, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you see another wave going in the opposite direction. Like, opposite oh. direction? 
Yeah, they're like, oh, that wave just cut down the other wave. Okay, I mean, that was a nice wave too, but can't surf on that, Pete. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know what I don't I'm know if you know about. how the ocean works. I, okay, I have no idea. I haven't been <laughs> in the ocean in years. I don't like it. There's scary creatures in there. No, thank you. Yep. Uh, anyway, a good book. <laughs> I love when everything that Sarah Gailey is scary Gailey. Um, uh, Sarah Gailey is doing, so I'm excited to read more stuff from her. And Kath Loba's art is very good. Agreed. Um, I, w- I wish there was sign going, but uh, I had a fun time. I hate Fairyland number seven from Image Comics, written oh. by Scotty Young, art by Brett Bean. In this issue, a multiverse team of Gertz is trying Skirts to take versus down Gert. Skirts versus Gert is trying to take the uh, down the older version of Gert. Uh, we get a battle royale in this issue. I love this book. It's a lot. Of I fun. mean, it's awesome, and it continues to be awesome. This is just so insane and hilarious and ridiculous all at the same time. But just, uh, it's so enjoyable. It's very good. Brett Bean's art is really good. It's ludicrous. There's a cliffhanger at the end that I really kind of hope they stick with and follow through because it's a wild twist. It's a wild twist. Wild twist for this rebooted book. I'm really enjoying this a lot. Let's move on to Alien number four from Marvel, written by Declan Chalvi, art by Andrea Bacardo. This is following a tight-knit family of three, maybe four, as they uh, work in a frozen mining operation, I believe, mm-hmm. except, mm-hmm. as usual, they accidentally are mining a place that is filled with aliens. Oh. A army of the xenomorphs have attacked the mining facility. There are Marines who are fighting back at them. There are corporation folks, Wayland yutani folks that are fighting back at them. But our main folks that we're following is this family in the middle. This book has been wild so far. And you know I don't like to curse up this podcast, right? Yeah. Pete, generally speaking. Um, there were multiple times reading this issue of the book, I was like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck is happening? Oh my God, <laughs> what? What the fuck are you doing here? Oh no! And screaming. There are so many horrific, insane, dark things All that happened. packed into one issue. It's I was insane. losing my mind. They took like three arcs and just packed it in here. And you're like, it's intense. This is very intense. One, one of these are acceptable in a comic book. <laughs> like when you go back to back to, I mean, the this is this childbirth is thing, the whole it's and just, I say this complimentary because it is hard to get that emotion out of you reading a comic book. This is brutal. This yeah. is brutal reading this book. And the fact that like they hit this so hard, it is so dark oh, and so hard. upsetting. Um the art is great, it Art's is consistent really with the world great. of Alien, but this goes this arc has been wild hard. and actionary, but yes, this goes very, very hard. Uh, and this just comic is turned up to eleven. You got to be ready before you pick this up. You can't yeah. just casually you are, open. This. You are going to be emotionally brutalized. <laughs> yeah. 
reading this issue alone. Uh, it is it's a hard read. I there should be I, a warning on this thing. <laughs> there shouldn't be a warning. <laughs> don't read this book. But maybe read this book. <laughs> that, that should wait, be the one. It should be like don't read this book. It should be like, are you sure, bro? <laughs> yeah. the, are there kids yeah. around? Like you're not gonna you be know, able like, to do anything for like not even the rest of the day, but the rest of the week. Just you're gonna be curled up into a ball you're crying just on be the floor. Like, well, I, yeah. Uh very well done. The art is very good. The writing, like we said, is just emotionally brutal. I am still in it, but this is one of the hardest things I've had to read from Marvel Comics in a very long time. Yeah, it's, it's and I know we're bouncing like I don't even want to spoil it because Yeah, because I don't want to take that away from the for the people reading. But it. I will say don't if well no no I do want to say something just as a warning and this is a spoiler warning but like if you have any problem with birthing trauma don't read this book um, violence obviously like you already know that with an aliens book but the main thing that I'd say is birthing trauma because that's that's like a trigger stop. for some people stop. I want to make sure that people just know. stop that's all anyway very well done very good uh, but let's talk to talk about talk to turn to. I was so excited this book is back because this is this book is like I know we've been positive about a lot of stuff. This is beyond a vicious circle from Boom Studios, written by Matson Tomlin, art by Lee Bermeo and Grant Golish. This is following two dudes who, as we find out in this issue, we find out a lot more about what happened, are tied together in time. They're following each other through various time periods and all right, all right. If we got to stop for a second, we got back up the truck because the art, the design of this comic, the paneling, the focus on the art and the way this uh, this comic starts is so unique and different and intense. It sucks you right in and you're on this ride through time and the I mean there's parts where you're just seeing like beads of sweat on somebody. Mm-hmm. It's so there's zoomed in moments, zoomed out moments. It's really artistically impressive, but man, what a ride. Like this is really impressive as a comic book. I, I was so blown away by this issue. This is so cool. Uh, I'll repeat what I said with the first issue in terms of Lee Bermejo's art is there are points when I, I said out loud, how did you do that? Like, yeah. how, how do you make something like that? I don't know how you craft something like that. This is, to be clear, this isn't an art piece alone. This is an insane balls-to-the-wall action comic book where a dude fights dinosaurs at certain points. There are other things that I would love to say to sell you on the book, but I'm not going to spoil it for you. But there are questions. Think of the perennial question you ask about time travel and... It's answered in this book <laughs> in a absolutely wild way. We get a lot of answers about the continuity of what was going on in the first issue as well. But like you said, it's just it's a insane time travel book. There's some great twists in here as well. I think this is coming out quarterly at this point, but this is monumental. This is one of the best things, not just that I read this week, but I think that yeah, I've this ever is on read my top. For yeah. a week. Yeah. This is one of those books that I feel like if they stick the landing in particular, oh. that we will bring up for years as, oh, did you read this? this oh, is yeah. You should yeah. read this. So yeah. There you go. But it's, 
It's very complicated. I'm really worried how this is going to all unfold. I have no idea. I have yeah. no idea how they're going to finish it at this point, but I'm in for the ride. Oh, Noctera, Nemesis Special from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder and Tony S. Daniel, art by Liam Sharp. This is a essential issue if you're reading Noctera. It is following our main characters as they go from, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the EOS, the lit up area with all the light to try to get to a place where they could stop Nox, the demon who demonish being who is representing darkness, who is invading our world. This, as uh, as I mentioned before, it has Liam Sharp's art, which normally is Tony S. Daniel on the book, who is great, but Liam Sharp is a totally different level in terms of wild and insane yeah. and crazy. This feels a little bit like an Arkham Asylum book to me or something like that in terms of the way that they're doing the arc. It's mostly a mental battle between our villain and one of our heroes. Great stuff. Yeah, I was really impressed with this artistically. It is a different shift, though, from what we're used to. So at first I was kind of like, okay, who's who? Kind of, I had to like be like okay where are we what's going on but man once you get into it it's it's creepy as shit in in really cool and in artistic ways and that smile the way that he uh the a smile is done uh, artistically is very cool um but yeah just uh a great one shot and kind of a, a cool kind of take on this bigger story very good stuff, and definitely, like I said, essential if you've been reading the main book. Something is Killing the Children, number uh. 31, from Boob Studios, written by James Tyne the Fourth, art by Werther Dildaria. This is the kickoff of a new arc, though essentially is just a continuation of the previous arc, as Erica, our main character, is fighting a monster in a small town who has been... Killing the children, per the title. No, Meanwhile, Cutter, who is an evil version of her, is aiming to kill her. We see Cutter slowly unraveling over the course of this issue because Erica currently has the upper hand. And there's a setup of something that might change the status quo in a very big way at the end here if it goes in the direction I think it's going to go in. This title, just great every issue. It just continues to be so uh, badass. Uh, I did kind of like laugh a little bit because they, in the comic, they wear these kind of like bottom scarves and then the like more badass character like flips it and wears it over the top half of their face. Mm -hmm. I was just like, okay, all right. Like, uh, I get it. Oh, you're so badass. You wear it on the top half. Okay, tough. But I think it's, um, you know, all that joking aside, this is just an unbelievable comic then every issue we get a little bit more a little bit more and it just continues to gather steam and it's such an amazing comic artistically and story-wise i'm having a blast with this although it's super sad that they're killing the children they are don't kill children that's my main yeah, takeaway for what even you just though said. that baby is like crying on the plane and is driving you insane yep. just no, don't no, no. do it all right sh- 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 don't, you don't, you don't. don't. I know we're on a podcast. You don't have to say that out loud. Okay. Um, but I agree with you. Terror War number four from Image Comics, written by Saladin Ahmed, art by Deva Acosta. This is following a future world where giant nightmares are attacking civilization and only people who can create brain bullets can stop them. We're following one underdog team that turns out to be way more important to things than we thought. What do you think about this issue, Pete? It's really, uh, speaking of creepy kids, um, the the kind of help me moment at the end really kind of creeped me the fuck out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The yeah. last issue of this book, 
I don't even want to call it a hiccup necessarily, but it wasn't the strongest issue of the book. I think we're a little down on it. This one, I think, gets things back on track as we follow the team again. Once again, they're like, what are we doing here with all this equipment? What's happening? Oh, my God, we're so out of our depth. And that's what we want to see. We want to see this underdog team triumph ultimately. So good stuff. Big action, wild, gross creatures. Not looking good for him at the end, though. Not looking good for them. I think they'll get out of this one. You think so? I I think so. Last but not least, victory number two from Dynamite, written by David Walker, art by Taylor Esposito. This is following a spinoff of Vampirella, specifically a woman who has some sort of vampire demon ring thing. And here she's being interrogated by a bunch of demons that are pretending to be angels. Um, we were pretty positive on the first issue. How'd you think, how'd you feel about issue number two? Well, I think it's unique and interesting as far as like, uh, we've seen a lot of different vampire things, but then we have this kind of like power ring, which is a little different. I really think the, the art is solid and there's some really cool characters. I'm not sure what's going on, but I'm intrigued enough by what's happening to want to check out more. I didn't love this issue. I like the art. I like the designs of the characters. I think that's very fun. Mm -hmm. But I thought the action was much clearer in the first issue. And here, just having essentially like an interrogation scene and a bunch of sex jokes throughout. I don't know. I, I know I've been sort of derogatory about Dynamite stuff sometimes, but this leans a little too much into the Dynamite TNA side of things. And... That's not where they excel. They actually excel about where they let artists get away from what their covers are like rather than leaning into it. Um, so I don't know. I'm still curious to read an issue three. This might have had an aberration because it did like issue one, but we'll see what happens. And if you'd like to support our podcast and all the podcasts, we do patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. Woo-hoo.